Are there apostles today? Are you an apostle? If you want to find the answer to those questions, stay tuned. This is the Bible Sojourner, where we discuss issues related to the Bible, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Peter Gaiman, professor of Old Testament and Biblical Languages at Shepherd's Theological Seminary. Shalom and welcome. Let's get started. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Bible Sojourner. And you may notice a few differences. On the one hand, you may notice a different sound. And alternatively, you may notice that this is on YouTube on video as well. So those of you who are listening by audio won't be able to tell that's on video unless you actually look on the YouTube channel, The Bible Sojourner. But these are now on YouTube. And the plan is to put a video on there of the podcasts as well. And I want to say that is only possible because of somebody who was listening to the podcast who actually volunteered to buy the equipment to record the podcast with better audio as well as pitch in for a camera. So it's pretty exciting. I'm really thankful for it and we'll see how God uses it. But I just wanted to put a special note out there at the beginning of this episode that I'm very grateful and I appreciate the person who paid for the equipment. That being said, uh, I'm going to try to do the best I can to adjust the audio levels and hopefully keep putting out a good content product as well as a quality product. Uh, If the Lord wills it, I want to do the best I can for him. So feel free, as many of you have, to reach out if you don't like the quality or if something is wrong with the audio. I take that into consideration and try to make the adjustments. So appreciate you listening as always. So let's talk about apostleship. So the big question today is, are there apostles? And if there are, how do we know who they are? And so I want to address this biblically as we need to and ask the question by analyzing a definition of apostle and then addressing biblical biblical precepts on how apostolic position should be defined and understood in relationship to the church today. So let's jump in with that. So when we look at the apostolic office, the word itself, apostles, derives from the Greek term, which really just means somebody who is sent out. Apostolos is the word, and it means sent one. Now, when we think about that, it could be very generic, but we use it as a very specific indication of 12 individuals plus Paul, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But that reality kind of already indicates, okay, It does just mean sent one, and even outside of biblical literature, it can be used that way. But the reality is that there is a specific sense that it's used in Scripture with definitions. Now, I just want to give indication of the two kinds of uses, apostles with a lowercase a and apostles with an uppercase a, if you want to think of it that way. Because what we have in places like Philippians 2.25, for example, you have Paul writing to the Philippian church and he says, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. That word messenger there is the word apostolos. So he, Paul there is identifying, and it's interesting how our English translations translate. That was the ESV that I translated with there. And it's interesting, even translators know, okay, he's just talking about a a messenger, a sent one there. He's not saying that Epaphroditus is an apostle in the sense that we think of Peter, James, and John, etc. 
So there is a sense in the Bible where there is a lowercase apostolic use, if you want to say it that way, of the word. And you could also cross-reference 2 Corinthians 8.23. That's another example of, of how that's used there. There, there are plenty of uses uh, of this, this lowercase apostle. But we also understand that there is a uppercase apostle who is a unique representative of Christ. Okay, And there are three tests of an apostle according to scripture. And this is, this is very important. So the first test of an apostle is that he must be an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. So an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. The second test is that he must be directly appointed by Jesus Christ. And the third test is that he must be confirmed in his appointed position by miraculous signs. So eyewitness of the resurrected Christ, directly appointed by Jesus, and then confirmed by miraculous signs. Now you might ask, well, how do we know that for sure? Can you point me to some biblical passages that support that? Well, sure. In Acts 1, for example, we have the discussion about how to replace Judas, who had uh, apostatized. And so they're, they're trying to discuss, okay, how are we going to, to should we fill in this, this missing apostolic office? The, the, one of the 12 has been a, a betrayer. So how are we going to do this? And in the discussion, they, they quote some of the Davidic Psalms saying, listen, when David was undergoing these persecutions, the pattern there was that we fulfilled the Davidic office, another must take his office, etc. So the same thing applies here to the ultimate David. I think that there's a connection being made there. And in verse 21, they say, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went out in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to the resurrection. So notice the key test there is that the individual who replaces Judas as an apostle, a special representative of Christ to the church, he must be a man who was with them from the baptism of John until the ascension of Jesus. So if, if you got saved in the middle of Jesus's ministry, you were not able to be an apostle with regard to this. So he must have been an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ and seen him raised. So that that's one of the uh, telltale signs of an apostle. Now, we see this in other places too. You could cross-reference Acts 10, 39 through 41. You could also look at 1 Corinthians 9, 1. And I want to point that one out just because in 1 Corinthians 9, you have Paul making an argument about his apostolic office and how he deserves to be treated like an apostle. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 9, 1 Corinthians, he says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? So notice how he links those phrases together. He's saying, am I not an apostle? And then very, the very next phrase, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? So Paul seems to link in his mind the, the viewing of the resurrected Christ and his authority as an apostle. And then also 1 John 1, 1 to 3, you have there a passage where the apostle himself builds on the special authority as apostle for having seen Christ and experienced uh, his resurrection. So 
I think this is an important test of being an apostle in this in this true representative sense, this special representative sense, is that you must be an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ. The second one is that you must be directly appointed by Jesus Christ. Now, this one is a little more obvious, I think, because it's obvious from the Gospels that you have uh, like Mark 3.14, where you have Jesus picking out the disciples and appointing them. So it says in verse 14 of Mark 3, and he appointed 12 whom he also called apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. So in other words, it's clear Jesus had directly appointed these individuals, these 12 individuals specially. Similarly, in Acts 1, we are dealing with verse 2, where it talks about Jesus teaching his apostles. And it says there uh, that uh, he was all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's verse 1. And then verse 2, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So again, the description there in Acts is of the disciples being apostolic in that they had been chosen specially for this role. So we see those indications in scripture that there's a special role being given to the disciples. And when we think about Paul, then you say, well, what about Paul? Does he have something similar in his experience? And I think that Galatians talks about that. In Galatians 1.1, it says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him up from the dead. So there you have Paul being claimed an apostle through Jesus Christ. So in other words, this is a decision that is made through Jesus Christ. He's appointed Paul as an apostle. So eyewitness of the resurrected Christ, you have directly appointed by Jesus Christ. Those are the first two tests of an apostle. And then the third is that he be confirmed by miraculous signs. Now, Acts 2 gives us kind of a glimpse into this, Acts 2.43, where we read that awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So this again is saying that the apostles were doing many wonders and signs and that was authenticating their ministry. Now again, we can actually cross-reference other passages which talk about this. You have Acts 4.33, 5.12, 8.14 being very similar. But I want to just zero in on 2 Corinthians 12.12, 12, which is a really important passage with regard to this as well. And in 2 Corinthians 12.12, 12, we read, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So, and this is in context, this is part of Paul's defense about what it looks like to be a true apostle. And one of the things that he mentions here is that you know that I'm a true apostle in contrast to the false apostles who are claiming to have special authority in the church of Corinth. Paul himself says, no, the true signs of a true apostle were performed among you with Signs, wonders, mighty deeds. These, these are the signs of a true apostle. So when we think about what does it look like for a true apostle, he must have been an eyewitness resurrected Christ. He must have been an eyewitness of that. He must have been directly appointed by Jesus Christ. And then he also must 
be confirmed through the miraculous outpouring of signs that marks the apostolic office. Now, when you think about how this works or, or why this is so important, why in the world would he have to be confirmed by signs and things like that? It's because you have to think about what the apostolic office is. And this is a really important part of the definition, really, because, yes, we have lowercase apostles and we have uppercase apostles. But one of the really important part of the uppercase apostles, those who who are specially chosen by Christ, is that they actually represent him kind of like an ambassador would for a nation, is that there's true authority vested in the apostles on behalf of Christ. And 1 John 4, 5, and 6 are a good example of this. John writes, They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Now, when we think of that verse... It's actually pretty profound because what he's saying is that those people who are from God or who are associated with God, they have the spirit of God living within them. You're going to listen to what I say. That's what John's essentially saying. He's saying you you will listen to me because you know that I speak for God. I speak on his behalf. And there are lots of examples of this. Uh, another one, I think, helpfully would be 1 Corinthians 4, 14, 37 and 38. And in 1 Corinthians 14... Uh, basically, in that context here, you have Paul discussing about how the church should operate. God is not an author of confusion, but of order. And so there needs to be uh, a pattern involved in the display of spiritual gifts. And, of course, the infamous 1 Corinthians 14, 34 says the women should keep silent in the churches. So what does that mean? Well, that's a different episode we're going to have to do, obviously. But what about how he gives himself the apostolic authority? So in, in verse 37 of chapter 14, he says, If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. So in other words, if you are a prophet, if you, if you understand the things of God, then you're going to acknowledge that I speak for God. That I'm, I'm As Paul is writing, he's writing with the authority of the Lord. That's, that's what he's saying. And so in verse 38, he says, if anyone does not recognize this, then he is not recognized. So Paul's simple point is basically when I command you to do something, the Lord is commanding you to do something. And that's because this vicarious authority built into the prophetic office is so key. It's, it's something that sometimes we don't think about as Christians, but that's why the apostles were so important. That's why they did miracles, because you couldn't, you couldn't mess up who an apostle was. The New Testament books were authenticated and verified by apostles. Even those individuals who did who were not apostles that wrote, like Luke or even John Mark, they wrote with apostolic backing. Luke obviously had Paul verify and authorize his writing. You had John Mark, who basically was writing with Peter over his shoulder and recording scripture. So this was a big deal. The, the apostles were the ones who were... The, in the words of Ephesians 2.20, they were the cornerstone. Well, not the cornerstone. Jesus was the cornerstone. They were the foundation of the church, and rightfully so. And so that brings us to the big question, are there apostles today? You know, I, I was reminded, actually, uh, years ago, I knew an individual, and he used to drive our buses in athletics 
at college, and uh, he would claim he was an apostle. And so it was always a, a fun discussion among the baseball compatriots about whether or not this individual was a apostle and what that meant and all of that. But are there apostles today? Like, what? how would we tell? Uh, well, first of all, on the basis of those three tests, I would say that there can't be apostles today, right? So on the one hand, there's nobody alive today who's seen the resurrected Christ, uh, who has been appointed by him, and who does those miracles and signs, right? We would know about it if people were doing those miracles and signs to authorize their existence as apostles. But in even a further sense, there are some foundational reasons why we should not expect apostles today, that the gift of apostleship has passed from the church. And here, here they are. So number one, the apostles occupied a foundational role for building the church. Now, I already talked a little bit about this, but I want to bring up that passage from Ephesians 2.20, because Ephesians 2.20 is one of those passages which no pun intended, it's foundational for understanding just how apostles and prophets functioned in the early church. So Ephesians 2.20 says that, well, let me go back and read verse 19, because it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Now, notice the key phrase there is that in verse 19, it says the household of God. And then defining that in verse 20, he says, which is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now, some people might say, well, are they talking about the Old Testament prophets there? Well, we know that they're not talking about the Old Testament prophets because the way that the, the term prophet is used in Ephesians is used for New Testament prophet. So Ephesians 3 and Ephesians 4 both make reference to the prophetic office referring to New Testament prophets. And so the New Testament prophets and the apostles are the foundation for the church. And you might say, well, how do they operate that way? Or, or why are they the foundation of the church? And the reality is that they're the foundation because there were big questions about how do we, how do we, act in this situation? How do we act when there's meat sacrificed to idols? How do we act to our fellow brothers and sisters from Judaism who uh, claim that there's no more observance of the Sabbath, etc.? There, there's just many questions, and God gave the prophets and the apostles for this transitional, major transitional time period during this, uh, during the, the post-resurrection time period of Christ into the birth of the church. It was, it was obviously necessary because there was a lot of need for guidance. So apostles occupied a foundational role for the building of the church. And I would argue then, uh, as will become evident, that it makes sense then after the church becomes well-established that there's no longer a need for apostles or prophets. And we'll talk at another point about prophets, but we're just talking about apostles today. Now, the, the second thing to keep in mind with regard to this, not only did they occupy a foundational role for building the church, but the Apostle Paul explicitly states that he was the last eyewitness of Christ's resurrection and therefore the last apostle of Christ to be appointed. So 1 Corinthians 15, 5 through 9 gives us this. 
So in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's defending the resurrection. And as Paul's defending the resurrection, he talks about how Christ appeared to Cephas in verse 5. He talks about then to the 12. Then he appeared to 500 brothers in verse 6, most of whom are still alive. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles again. And then in verse 8, he says, last of all, so that's a, a sequential term there, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. So in other words, it seems to, to be pretty easy to take that, that Paul saying, I'm the last apostle. I think that's the most straightforward way to take that. I know there are other ways to take that. But he seems to be giving a list saying, and I was the last one to see the resurrected Christ. He appeared to me, appointed me in a special way, and... I deserve to be last because I am the least. That's that's kind of his argument there. And so I think that when Paul makes that argument, he's essentially saying that he's the last eyewitness of Christ's resurrection. Therefore, he also would be the last apostle. Now, I would also say this is the third reason. So the third one would be that the apostle Paul clearly implies that the gift of being an apostle of Christ is no longer to be sought by Christians. So what I mean by that is when Paul discusses spiritual gifts, he actually encourages the believers in 1 Corinthians 12, 31 to seek the higher gifts. So in verse 31, he says, earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a more excellent way. And then in, in verse four, or in verse one of chapter 14, he says something similar. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So if the apostolic office was still a possibility, we know from first earlier in 1 Corinthians 12 that apostleship is a spiritual gift. And he mentions that in, in a list of spiritual gifts, and he talks he uses the analogy of the body and how there are, are different different manifestations, the public manifestations of gifts, the lesser manifestations, etc. And in verse 29 of chapter 12, he says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts, healings, etc. The point is that he includes apostles as gifts, right? And so it's, in fact, in verse 28, he explicitly says that God had appointed to the church apostles, prophets, teachers, etc. So the gift of apostolic authority, the gift of the apostle, is a genuine gift. It, it, is, it belongs in the discussion of spiritual gifts. But if Paul is telling the Corinthian church to pursue the best spiritual gifts, why doesn't he say pursue the apostolic office? Because that would be a natural inclination. And even in Paul's listing of giftings, he seems to prioritize the gift of the apostolic office. So all of these things seem to indicate to me that Paul, by his omission, is basically saying, listen, pursue the best spiritual gifts, but you can't have the apostolic office. Obviously, that's just out of your reach. And so by his instruction to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, I think he clearly implies that the gift of apostolic authority is not to be sought by Christians. Now, the fourth one that I'd throw out there as well is that no modern apostle is capable of receiving the commendation of the original 12 apostles as Paul did in his day. 
So there I'm referring to Galatians 2, and you can cross-reference verses 7 through 9, where Paul is basically saying he, he went and received authority uh, being confirmed by the other apostles. So in verse 7 he says, When they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me to mine to the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Now, I won't say that this is the strongest of points because there even Barnabas is mentioned alongside Paul. And I would say Paul had more authority than Barnabas. But it does seem that Paul is, is showing that he had submission to the original apostles, that his, in his argument for apostolic authority, he is appealing to the fact that the existing apostles also recognized him as having a mandate from God to exercise his apostolic authority. So I think that that is an argument. I'm, like I said, it's, it's maybe not the strongest argument because Barnabas is mentioned there as well, but it is one to consider for sure. And then finally, um, in the question of whether or not there's apostolic office today, I would argue that the final witness to the closed character of the apostolate, the apostolic authority, the gift of apostle, the final witness to this, the, the reason why it doesn't exist is because the canon itself is closed. So scripture itself, remember, part of the argument from Ephesians 2.20 and Ephesians 4.11 is that the church is being founded upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. And if that foundation is laid, if that foundation is laid, then the need for prophets and apostles then ceases, right? Because if we then have the word of God, which has been delivered by the apostles and prophets, then we are capable of working through the issues of life because then God has given us that revelation. So for the early church, they don't have the Bible that we have. They have their Old Testament, but they have major questions that they need to deal with. And so as the church is working through the new issues, therefore the New Testament is necessary, they are getting instruction by divine revelation through the apostles and the prophets. But once the canon has been closed, once it has been delivered, then there's no more need for that prophecy, right? So when we put those logical arguments together, I would say that there, there is no need for apostolic, an apostolic office or an apostolic authority today. Now, let's give a conclusion for uh, walking through these issues. So on the one hand, I would say that the gift of apostle was essential for the founding of the church as well as the authentication of the gospel and the canon of scripture. I, I really do think, based on the scriptural evidence and how the narrative unfolds, that the apostle was God's specialized gift for the birth of the church. I think that that's 100% true. Now, the miraculous gifts were somehow in some way, and this is going to be another episode in the future as well, but the miraculous gifts were somehow, some way connected to the presence of living apostles. We saw that in 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Uh, you could also reference Acts 8, 14 through 20. These passages just really emphasize the fact that there is a connection between 
the between the miraculous and the gifts of signs, wonders, miracles, etc., and the apostolic authority. And so when you think about, okay, are there apostles today? Do we see those kinds of miracles? Do we see those signs? Well, no. And that makes sense because of what the signs of the apostles were and their function. So if you emphasize their function and you emphasize what they were to be, it makes sense then that they would pass from the scene once the canon is completed and the church is given the resources to battle against the the things that face us in this day and age, right? So I think there are very strong arguments for the apostolic office passing away. And this is just a little something to wet your whistle uh, for future episodes coming up. But I think once you understand that the gift of apostleship has passed away, that kind of opens the door to think, well, are there other gifts that have passed away? And I would say that when you acknowledge that the apostolic office is not in existence today because it's passed away, then you also begin to say, well, then it is also possible that there are other gifts that are not present, like prophecy, tongues, etc. And so I know I may have riled some people up with those final comments, but that will be the case in future episodes. We will look at the gifts and see if those two have passed away or there's other things to consider there. Well, I hope it's been helpful for you and I always enjoy hearing from you. Let me know how the new setup has has been heard or listened or seen and I always enjoy hearing hearing that. I'm headed to Israel in a couple days and I'm not sure if I'll be able to do any episodes from Israel, but Lord willing, who knows, maybe I'll be able to do some uh, if the Lord wills. And I'm excited to do that. Excited to have a, have a couple months here to work for the Lord and uh, get some things done in between semesters. In any case, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.